All right, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you today for the gift of life and for your mercies towards us. We knew today. We thank you for this new location and the joy to be together in this uh, uh, beautiful environment, welcoming as well. We thank you for your word and for the, the body of Christ and uh, all the gifts that you give, Lord. Help us to understand a bit more about your word and uh, how you want us to practice the gifts and help us to have uh, an edifying conversation. May uh, people participate and may be uh, uh, remembered and practiced in a way that pleases you even more. Amen. Amen. All right, so we read Ephesians 4 and we read uh, verse 7 through 16. Let's read this section this morning. Ephesians 4. The whole section starting in verse 7 until the, the end of the section in verse 16. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this... He ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, but by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So last week we saw the first uh, half of this section and uh, I'd like to uh, uh, first do a little recap on this section and ask you some questions. So first of all, what is the big theme of, of this section? What's the big theme? Do you remember? What's that? Unity. So. We saw that the section starts with the word but, and then therefore it contrasts what precedes. And in the preceding verses, we see a repeated uh, term, which is one. One body, one role, one spirit, we're all one. So there is the unity that precedes, and then it says, but each one has received something unique. So although we are all one in Christ, we're all part of this uh, one church, we're all this uh, unity in God. Yet, there is diversity, 
But each one has received a gift according to the measure of uh, Christ's gift. And so therefore, we are all one in one way, but we're all very, very different in, in another way. That's supposed to be a blessing for the church, the diversity of the church, the different things that the Spirit has done in us that makes us uh, one part of the body, another is another part. And so then what's the theme of the passage? That's right. The spiritual gifts that are all different in the body of Christ, and that's the theme that creates the diversity in the church that is needed for a healthy body. In other words, we're not all the same. And that's uh, on purpose. Okay, so spiritual gifts. How do we know that the passage is about spiritual gifts? Maybe you're not even convinced. Maybe you're like, I don't know, I didn't see that. Or maybe you're still not seeing it. So look into the text and it, you know, if you were to try to support this claim, what would you see in the text that really showcases that the theme is spiritual gifts? I want you to be convinced about this. So let's uh, try to see if you can... Uh, find reasons that confirm that this is the theme. Since we're going to be discussing it, we want to make sure we don't discuss something that's not the author's intent. I'm going to be selecting some people to see if you have some ideas you're not... Uh, um, you're not comfortable sharing or you're not sure, so but that's, that's fine. How about you, Jonah? What do you think is supporting the fact that this section is, is about spiritual gifts? Can we just take words from the passage? Whatever, whatever you see that, uh, that explains that, it's fine. Well, it says, according to the measure of Christ's gifts, and it says he gave these gifts to men. That's right. Right. So spiritual gifts, they are not natural abilities. It's not like, well, someone is a teacher at the high school, and therefore, if he becomes a Christian, then he can become a teacher of the Bible. It doesn't work like that. So because it's a gift from Christ, it's not something you have before you're saved. And those are spiritual gifts. They're not natural abilities. They're not natural talents. They are not natural gifts. They are spiritual gifts. They are given by the Spirit. In other words, if he was not giving us those gifts, we wouldn't have them. We could not do the work. Good morning. Alright, so the text says, he gave gifts to men. And then there is this idea that by grace we have a special gift that's given by Christ, that's to us in a specific way. So you see at the end it says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, you don't compare yourself with another believer in, in, in an unhealthy way saying, oh look, I don't have as much talent as that person, or whatever. You know, you, you don't think this way, because one, if someone is more advanced in spirituality, that's something that inspires you to grow. If someone has more of something in his Christian life or her Christian life, then that can help you. And, um, and again, that can be a model. But that's also because God, he doesn't give everyone the same thing in the same way, right? And so that's actually something to rejoice about, right? So, okay, there's the measure of Christ's gift. And, uh, and um, we'll talk more about that, uh, about other gifts later. So we're talking about Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16. And we're seeing that this section is about spiritual gifts. And then uh, Jonah just told us that there is the text that says that Christ gives a gift according to his measure. 
and then there are gifts in the plural given to men, something else. Something else that you see in this whole section, which is one thought, which is why, although it's not inspired, usually our Bible uh, translations have a header or heading that is um, a heading that is encompassing the whole section. So they see the people who translate, they see the, this whole section is one theme. So if you look at the, towards the end of the passage, what do you see that again supports this idea that we're looking at spiritual gifts in the body of Christ? Dan, maybe you have an idea? Or your table over there, someone? Yes. That's right. Yeah, that's the last verse. A very critical verse. Every part. So, are you a Christian? Raise your hand. Are you part of the body of Christ? You keep your hand up. So, therefore, what are you doing? You're part of the body. Right? You're supposed to have something to contribute, so you supply something to the body. So what are you supplying? And, well, I don't have a gift. Well, yes, you do. Verse 6. Each one has received. You see that? So you have received. And who gave you this gift? Yeah, God, Christ himself. So this is tremendous motivation. It is also... Uh, high calling, a duty of the highest importance that Christ gave you something and it's not for you really. It will give you joy, it will glorify God, but it's really for the body. You see that? And we saw last week in uh, uh, other passages that are, that are key passages about spiritual gifts. One of the reasons why I'm asking questions is because I really want you to learn and to remember. If you don't remember, if you don't learn, why was I even here? Why did I prepare? Right? So, let's try to remember the passages about spiritual gifts. So we just saw that Ephesians 4 is one. There are a few passages in the Bible about spiritual gifts. I mean, think about it. Christ, he gives us a spiritual gift, or we actually have more. We have a palette. And uh, it is so critical that we actually have to have a gift to, to work in the body. And so that's a thing that we have to know for our Christian life. And we have to, it's not just a, a side thought that yes, there's that too. It's so important. It's, that's why we're here. We are in the body to do something specific. Can you imagine if my hand was not doing anything? It would be like, it would be a pain, it would be a loss, it would be suffering. And the, the Bible says, if one member suffers, the whole body suffers. So it's, it's a very important thing. It's a very important uh, truth for the Christian life, spiritual gifts. So we have to know where are the passages and what can I learn from these passages and what can I teach someone else about these passages. All right, so the first passage we're seeing about spiritual gifts is Ephesians 4. Another passage, someone. And if you don't know, just write it down, memorize, do whatever you have to do. This is key for your life. You have to know those passages, yes. Same verse as with uh, held together by every joint with which it is equipped. 
Right. That's right, the equipping. That's very good. Yeah, so that again that supports the fact that this section is about spiritual gifts. But let's talk about the other passages that uh, also instruct us. First Corinthians fourteen. That's correct. It's actually the end of the section. Where is the section beginning? It's it's twelve. 11 is also about the church service, but 12 is the beginning. So the section in 1 Corinthians 12, you remember we read it last week, it says, Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant or, or uninformed about spiritual gifts. So he says, it's very important. You should not ignore this, you should not be partially informed, you should really learn this. And uh, since we're going to talk about this today, what are the three chapters of 1 Corinthians 13, or, uh, 12 through 14? What are they about? Do you remember? So there, there is the gift of speaking in tongues. That's correct. It's discussed at length in chapter 14. So chapter 12 is a general introduction on spiritual gifts. Chapter 14 is a particular application application and discussion and it regards the service and guess what's in the middle what's 13 love right in the middle you have 13 and 13 is love so usually uh, at weddings you know couples they may select first Corinthians 13 the first uh, seven verses that talks that talk about love actually it wouldn't even be the, the very beginning it would be just a few verses there and uh, they, it applies to it is applied to marriage and, and that's that's all right it is true but the, the reality is that this section on love it's in the middle of a discussion on spiritual gifts why do you think that's important the fact that love is in the middle of the lengthiest discussion on spiritual gifts in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. That's right. That's why at the beginning of the passage it says if you have all knowledge and you know everything, you don't have love, it's vain, it's nothing. He says. If you give all your money to the poor, and you even give your own body to be burned, and you have no love, he says, it's zero. And he says, if you can prophesy like no one else, you can preach like no one else, you have no love, zero. You see that? So if you don't have love right in the middle of that, you have nothing. And so what do we see in Ephesians 4? At the end, it says, build itself up in love. In love. So you might think, well, it's just the last few, ver few words in the section, you know, no big deal. Oh, no. It's a huge deal. And without love, there's nothing. So this equipping is for us to practice our gifts in love. And a couple verses earlier, he says, speaking the truth in, in love. So even though at the end of our section in Ephesians 4, it talks about love, the point is that it's a crescendo. He's saying you have all those things, and we talked about it last week. Everyone has a gift. It's from Christ. It's unique. It comes from the ascension. And Christ gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers, 
so that you would be equipped, so that you have a gift, you can use it, and in the end, you have to make the body grow in love. So love is the, is the goal. That's, that's what we do. That's the sum of all the commandments. So that's really key. And then, what is another section on spiritual gifts? Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. What's another one? Someone? We saw it last week. Mark it down. Romans 12. Romans 12. And another one is the one that Pastor Grady preached on recently. It's 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4. Let's, uh, let's see these sections. The reason I, I go around these sections is because they all talk about the same theme and they inform each other and they help us see what is really to be the key emphasis in what we do. And so in 1 in, in Peter 4, it says this. Watch this. 1 Peter 4, verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent, fervent what? Fervent love. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sin. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received their gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers or serves, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, right at the beginning, he says, the most important thing, above all things, is love. Fervent love. And as he begins to talk about that, he says, therefore, what do you do? You use your spiritual gifts, and he categorizes them in two general broad sections. One is serving, one is speaking. So serving would have all kinds of things. Being merciful, giving, and it would be um, having mercy. There are many different types that you can think of this way. And those are general categories. So you can think of all things that are done in the church. People who come and help the setup at the church. People who give meals. People who come to help when there is a help needed. If anyone serves, do it with love. Do it with uh, all your might. And then on the other hand, there is the oracles of God speaking. So what, does, what is that about? Anytime you encourage someone, anytime you exalt someone, anytime you comfort someone, anytime you teach, anytime someone is preaching, and on and on. And just at the beginning, he says, love. And then we look at Romans 12. Romans 12. Let's read it. I, I just want you to see how, how beautiful this is. I beseech you, brethren, 
I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is acceptable, good and acceptable and perfect. Um, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who, is, he who teaches in teaching, he who exalts in exaltation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. So right after the discussion of spiritual gifts, he says love. It is very, very central. We do not want to be thinking about, you know, anything else but love. We want to love people, we want to love God, and that's the heart of the passage. If we have missed the love piece, we've missed the central thing, love. And love so that the body grows. And so for that to happen, something unique had to be done. Back to Ephesians 4. We saw that for spiritual gifts to be given, something unique had to happen. What was that? It's, it's in the text. Ephesians 4. He ascended, he ascended on high. Christ ascended on high. That is when Christ was taken from the earth to heaven where he's now at the right hand of the Father. So for us to have spiritual gifts, what was the cost? What, was, what were the requirements? He gave himself. Christ has, had to die. That's right. Christ gave himself up for us so that we would be forgiven and then he rose from the dead on the third day that's the gospel and then he ascended on high and he gave the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit we have the spiritual gifts that's why as we saw last week he said it is better for you if I go because if I go I will send you another helper and that's the Holy Spirit so we have received the Holy Spirit at such a cost and with the Spirit, who is the seal of our inheritance, who is the guarantee of our salvation, who is also the 
Um, the down payment, as one passage explains it, that shows that one day we will be fully, fully redeemed in the presence of Christ. It is the, the gift of God with the gifts of the Spirit that is given to the bride before we are married forever with Christ and the triune God in the, in the presence of God in, in uh, the new heavens and the new earth. So today, listen to this. Today, you have spiritual gifts that you will not have in heaven. Did you hear that? You have spiritual gifts that you will not have in heaven. You have one life to use your spiritual gifts and then it's over. 1 Corinthians 13 says that when we see face to face, when we see God face to face, there will be no longer those gifts. There will no longer be prophecy. It will have been, it will have passed away. There will no longer be all the other things. Why? Because we will be with Christ. We won't be needing to be taught things like we are taught today. There won't be pastors. There won't be prophets. There won't be evangelists. There won't be pastor teachers. There won't be apostles. There won't be your spiritual gifts today. It's just for right now. It's for right now. So Christ ascended on high. He gave us gifts that are equipping us for this life right now to have a maximum impact for Christ in the life of the church and in the life of those who are not Christians. And that's right now. So if you don't use your spiritual gifts, you are not honoring Christ with the, gift that's, the gifts that he has given you. You're not serving the church. You're depriving other people of what they should be receiving from you. How about this? People who should hear the gospel. I'll see your mercy towards them. And they don't see that. And also it impacts them. So you see how beautiful this is. And how important this is. And so because we have such an important part to play in the body and the redemption history. God has given something that is amazing to the church. He gave gifted men. Look at the text, Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11. What are the four categories of gifted men that are given to the church? Ephesians 4.11. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. Why did I say last week that there is only there are only four categories here and not five? Yes. And just before the term, see the text? It says, he gave some or he gave the apostles and some or the prophets, some or the evangelists and some or the pastors and teachers. It doesn't say some as evangelists, some as prophets, some as, some as apostles, some as pastors, some as teachers. The last piece is only one category and in the Greek when you have two nouns that are in the plural that are separated by and which you have here pastors one noun in the plural and teachers another noun in the plural it's actually um, 
a Greek rule, it's called the Granville Sharp rule by the name of the two gentlemen who developed it or saw it. And it's just one, one group of people that are designated by two nouns. So there are four categories, not five. And uh, the reason why he uses the two terms is because every pastor is a teacher. And he wants us to know that. That's why in uh, 1 Timothy 3, when it says, if anyone wants to be a pastor, he says he must be able to teach. But not every teacher is a pastor. You see that? So we have four categories. And, you know, without these categories, without these four groups, you and I, we could not function as we should. What is the text saying? What are they supposed to do? All right, equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? Every Christian is a saint. Every Christian is a saint. The word means separated, so we are all set apart. So we're set apart from sin in this world to be for Christ and holiness. We are all saints. That's why when you read the introductions of every, nearly every letter, it says to the saints of Galatia, to the saints of so-and-so. So the saints are supposed to get something from these folks. What is it? Equipping. So that implies that when we are saved, we're not equipped. We need to have something change in us. We need to be equipped for what? So that we can come in church, take a seat, sit down, watch the show, go home, come back next week for an hour and a half. Is that it? Think about it. What does it say? Just think about that. Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Wow. Did you know that you have a ministry? You have a ministry. Did you know that you have to work in the church? See, we, in, in the, we, when we read the Bible, we have to just let it speak loud and clear. We cannot just think about what's going on in our church or in our past or our churches or our denomination, whatever the case may be, and say, you know, this is how I understand things. We have to have the Word reform our life. So we have to see what the Word says and let it shape everything we do. So many people today, they think that there is the minister. The minister is the lead pastor. By the way, in the Bible, there's no lead pastor. They are pastors, and that's it. There's no what? There's no lead pastor in the Bible. They are pastors. Last uh, Sunday, we had a home group at our church, at our home, uh, or house church, as they are called, and Pastor Gabe told us that all the pastors, the elders, they are all equal. I'm glad to hear that, because that's what the Bible says. So people think the minister, he is the, the one person preaching on Sunday. Well, not so. The Bible says we're all ministers. We all have a ministry. You see that? Oh, they get paid, so they do the work. I just come here and I get a service. Not so. You're supposed to work. And it's a joyful thing. It's a loving thing. It is a duty and a blessing. See, this is beautiful. The pastors are supposed to equip the saints and not just them, all four of these. And then so the saints would do the work. So in some places, 
where I've been actually, when I was in France, for example, nobody wants to serve. The pastor has to just somehow just try to get people to do something. And people are oh, not paid, I'm not doing this. I'm not full-time, I'm not in staff, whatever the case may be. There's no staff in the Bible. There is a body, and if you are a Christian, you, rules your, you, you raised your hand. You have a gift, you have a calling, you have a ministry, you have to work. You see? This is very, very significant. Because if you don't do what you're supposed to do, then verse 16 doesn't exist. The body does not properly function by what every joint supplies. So back to the question, what are you supplying? But before we can even supply, we have to be equipped. So then, what are these people doing? I explained last week that the first two, apostles and prophets, they no longer exist today. And I gave you two reasons. One is Ephesians 2.20, 21, where it says that the foundation of the church is what? It's been laid once, and this is the apostles and the prophets. So when you build a building and the church is likened to a body, but it's also likened to a temple or a holy habitation that grows where living stones are added, those are the saints and the elects that are converted and added to the church. We are living stones that have been added. And the foundation that was laid 2,000 years ago is the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. Apostles were to be witnesses of the resurrected Christ. Christ is in heaven, he's not on the earth, he's not coming to say hello to anyone at any time. Nobody can see him, nobody qualifies to be an apostle. Actually, Paul said, I'm the least and of the apostles. And we, reading all the scriptures, we see that he was really the last of the apostles. But at any rate, so we see that reason number one is that the apostles and the prophets were the foundation of the church. How so? Because their teaching was the content of the New Testament. And the content was Christ. They say, we preach Christ, and Christ is the foundation. Peter said, um, Jesus said to Peter in uh, Matthew 16, when Peter said, you are Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus said, you are Peter, that's uh, Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. So he's saying, you are Peter, a little stone. And on this Petra, this this uh, bedrock, as the word indicates, and the Petra is not him, that's a different word. It's what he just said. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And on this bedrock, on this Petra, on this rock, I will build my church. So the church is built on the proclamation of Jesus Christ by the apostles and the prophets who laid the church foundation, church's foundation 2,000 years ago, and they are no longer here. Reason number two, in Ephesians chapter three, Verses 3 through 5, it says, and that's really going to connect, it says, The apostles and the prophets were given revelations that were not given to the sons of men in previous generations. So the apostles and the prophets, they were given revelations that there's truth from God directly in their mind about things that nobody knew. And that was something that had never happened before, and it doesn't happen today. Revelations have been, they have ceased, they're not happening today anymore. Nobody has a word from the Lord. If you want to hear God speak to you audibly, pick up your Bible, read it out loud. That's how you can read, you can hear God audibly. Otherwise, there's no revelations anymore because we have the sufficient revelation of the Word of God once and for all. So these two have done their job. 
The church has been built on their foundation, on Christ's foundation. And like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, woe to anybody who builds on any other foundation than Christ himself. So the foundation is laid. But there are these two. And what were the apostles and the prophets doing? The apostles were traveling. They were planting churches. The prophets were staying in churches, teaching people with the revelations that they were given because the New Testament was not yet given. What are the evangelists supposed to do? They are supposed to be planting churches. And just like the apostles, they can stay in places, but they also uh, they, they can also stay and teach, but they also are traveling. And what are the pastors doing? Well, just like the prophets, they stay in the places, in the churches, and they teach people. Not with new revelations like the prophets used to do, but with the revelation of the Word of God. So today we have the evangelists and the pastors. So, let me give you a little uh, story. If you ask, if you were to ask the Christians in Jerusalem in the first century, do you know the apostles? They will say, oh yeah, we know the apostles. Uh, we, we know uh, James, we know uh, Peter, we know them, right? They are uh, key leaders in our church and we know them. And we've heard of the apostles of Christ, all the twelve. If you were to ask in the church of Corinth in the first century, do you know the prophets? They will say, oh yeah, we know, I know prophets. I mean, we have prophets every Sunday. They, they stand up and they give revelations. They teach us about the word of God. And then one sits and another one has another revelation. He rises up and he gives the, the teaching. And we've heard of Agabus who made the prophecy in Jerusalem and so on. And then today, if you ask Christians, do you know your pastors? And then... Um, Usually it will go something like this. Uh, let's see, what's his name again? The one who's preaching? Uh, yeah, Pastor Grady. And then, you know the other pastors? Pastors? What do you mean? There's Pastor Grady? And that's it, right? No, in the Bible, every elder is a pastor. Do you know your pastors in our church? All, all of them? By name? Do you talk to them? Do you, do you honor them like the Bible says? Do you pray for them? Do you love them? Right? So many people, I would dare to say, most people in churches, they don't even know their pastors by name. Do you think that's okay? It's not okay. You have to know your pastors. But then there is more. Ask today, Christians in any church, do you know your evangelists? What do you mean? Evangelists? I, on our church website page, there, is all, there are all kinds of people, but there are pastors listed, but there's no evangelists. And in most cases, there isn't even someone who is recognized as an evangelist. That doesn't exist. So then you ask, why is it that today, churches in the West, in France, in the US, in the West, why is it that, um, they are not growing very much. They're not growing very much. They struggle. They are sometimes are older, older people only. Why is it? And then I say, didn't Christ die and rose and ascended on high and gave to the church evangelists? And we think 
evangelists are not needed in the church. And we are surprised that the body is not equipped for the work of ministry. We are surprised that people are not saved in, in the way that we would hope. Because we are, without even realizing it, we are spurning the gifts of evangelists for the church. And I would say in our church, I know someone who is definitely an evangelist, and I would say that people might have different gifts, so I would say it's possible to be both a pastor and an evangelist, just like Paul was given to be, like it says in 1 Timothy, an apostle and a preacher and a teacher. He was multiple things. But the truth is, where are the evangelists in the churches in the world? You go to Africa, you'll have self-proclaimed apostles and self-proclaimed prophets, and at least you will have people who are recognized as evangelists. And in some denominations in the US, like the Assemblies of God, they have uh, some uh, doctrinal issues, but at least they have often evangelists, and that's good. Because evangelists, they are a gift of Christ for the church. We need to have a recovery in the West for evangelists. It is so important. We don't dare to think for one second that Christ gives the gift to the church and that somehow it doesn't matter. It does. And not only that, when in most churches today, listen to this, when in most churches today, even churches that I love, that have so much of the truth of the right doctrine, when they talk about equipping the saints for the work of ministry, they only talk about the pastors and teachers. That's it. But that's not what the text says. The text says the evangelists so we have to have evangelists equipping the saints in the churches for the work of ministry. So what are evangelists doing? Well, the only one that is listed in the Bible is Philip the evangelist, according to Acts 21. And what do we see Philip doing? Philip is in Jerusalem. This is a mega church because they have refused to go and plant churches all over the world like they were commanded in Acts 1. They don't want to go. We learn from another passage in Acts that they actually don't want to speak to the Gentiles. So they're definitely having issues. They are too comfortable with their own mega church. They don't want to move. They don't want to talk to people who are not like them. They don't want to talk to the Gentiles. And so God has to send persecution to scatter them. And the Bible says, and those who were scattered went to preach the gospel everywhere. But before that happened, there was someone who could not stand that. And who was that? It was Philip, the evangelist, who went out on his own in Samaria and he planted a church and then we see that he sometimes is um, therefore you know talking to a large audience and he's preaching and evangelizing and people get saved but he also as an evangelist does he goes one-on-one -on -one with the Ethiopian Union in the following chapter this is amazing look at this there's a massive revival in Samaria people are saved the apostles are coming they see the word they lay their hands the Holy Spirit is given through them because that was the apostolic authority and then you might think this is wonderful the, the evangelist has to stay there he, he just has to stay there right and God says no you're just gonna go because I want you to talk to this one person in the middle of nowhere in the desert that's what he does and so then he goes and then the Ethiopian eunuch is saved. He goes to speak the gospel afterwards to his own region. And then Philip is translated out of nowhere. Poof, he's taken and he's sent to um, Caesarea. And we find him there many, many years later, decades later in Acts 21. And by then he has four daughters who are prophesying. 
So he stayed in that town for a long time. And he's involved in that church. Obviously, he stayed for that long. And what is he doing? Most likely, just like he should, he is equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So that's what an evangelist does. So the Bible says that today in churches, we have people who are teaching and church planting and equipping. And these people, they equip you and I, so that then we, we get to work. Right? That's what it says. So then, before we close, what time is it, please? 9.30. Okay. So I want you to see, I want you to see the contrast that we see in the last section of our, of our passage. We have a contrast between who we become and who we are without the equipping. Okay, so let's put it this way. Who we are slash were and who we become. So look at the text and find out what this equipping does to us. And we're all being equipped. It's not like the teachers, you know, they, they don't get equipped. The pastors, that's why there are multiple pastors. That's why the body is, is, uh, is uh, so complementary and rich, right? So everyone is learning. And so as you'll see, whatever is in these two categories applies to everybody. So what, what are we before the equipping and what do we become? Yep, yep, it's true, and there are plenty of details, so go ahead. Okay, okay, wait, wait, wait. So, unity of the faith. Another one. Okay, mature man. Okay, so let me comment on this real quick. When it, when um, when the Bible says the faith, uh, sometimes it means the scripture, because the scripture is the content of what our faith should be like. It's the perfect faith. So, for example, the Bible says many different things about who Christ is. And that should be my faith. It says many different things about what the church should be. And that should be my faith. But of course, what happens is that we're not there yet. So we're growing in our faith. And we have to strive to have the same faith as what the Bible says. And that's what is called the unity of the faith. We all have uh, a different faith. Just like it says in uh, Ephesians 3, it says, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I can guarantee no one of us here has the same faith in the absolute sense. We all Christians, we all believe the core parts of the gospel. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about all the things you believe. No one else has the exact same beliefs as you. In fact, I don't even have the same beliefs that I had like a year ago because I'm learning, right? But we're all striving to have this one faith that's the same for everyone. This one Lord, one faith. And right now our faiths, they have to 
to be directed to be really like the faith of the Bible, the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God. And so we're all growing as we are equipped to have the same understanding of the Bible or the unity of the faith. So it's key. Without knowledge, we're not going to serve or we will not serve very well. And maturity. The other things on the other side. Anybody can read and find the answers. Come, some volunteers from the younger ones. Exactly. So we are children. Okay, so instead of having the unity of the faith, people are tossed around by every error that is floating around. Something comes in the music, something comes from the, the culture, whatever, and tossed. Like there's nothing that's sturdy and stable, completely swayed by anything. We're not like that anymore. We have the unity of the faith. So, um, I will say unstable in doctrine. And there is also the susceptibility, right? That we are babes in Christ when we are born again and we need to grow because at this point we can be easily tricked. And what else is being done and not done anymore? Uh, we are able to speak truth with love. All right. So we speak the truth, truth in love. And that's actually in contrast to the deceitful scheming that are happening and influencing us. Okay. Um, and what about this one? Do we have more details about that one? The maturity. It says, into the likeness of Christ. So, to become like Christ. And it says, grow in every way. Wow. You see that in the text? Okay, so here is why I want to highlight this. And that's because it's really um, showing the goal. We are having spiritual gifts and we are equipped by the evangelists and pastor teachers. And uh, um, that's so that we become mature. We are more and more like Christ. We know more and more the scriptures so that we can speak and act in love. And this uh, word mature here, it's also translated perfect. Uh, and the Greek word is teleos. And here is why it matters. It's going to help you understand passages in the Bible that are very difficult, uh, but very important. In 1 Corinthians 13.10, it says, when the perfect comes, we will, we will be face to face with Christ and the spiritual gifts of prophecy and knowledge will pass away. 
There is a lot of debate about that. What is the perfect? The word is is uh, the same. It's telios. And actually, let's turn there. First Corinthians thirteen ten. Verse 1 tells the section of interest. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether they are prophecies, they will fail or pass away. Whether they are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away or pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is, that which is perfect or telios has come, then that which is in part will be done away. See, he just used the same word, mature, perfect, telios. And it says, when maturity, perfect maturity comes, the gifts will be gone. When will we have perfect maturity? When we are face to face with God in the new heavens and the new earth in heaven. And then, see, we are talking about maturity. And we saw that here there's maturity that's contrasted with children. Now check the text. See how the Bible is so consistent and helpful to explain one part and another. Verse 10, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke, like, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For we now see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I have been known. And now, abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So he's saying, spiritual gifts are when we are not yet fully perfected in heaven. We are like children. We speak, we think. All of that is the use of spiritual gifts. That is good. We, we grow. But when we will be in the presence of God, it says, when we see Him face to face, those things will have vanished away. And so again, in 1 Corinthians 13, one of the passages on spiritual gifts, the telios or the perfect is to be mature like Christ. In Ephesians 4, the telios is to be mature like Christ. And even in Romans 12, when it talks about be transformed, it says to be telios, to have this maturity. So that's the goal, that we grow to be mature so that we can love people because love, listen and I will end with this, love 
And like spiritual gifts, it's never going to pass away. And so today, we're supposed to help the church grow in love with our spiritual gifts before they pass away when we see Christ face to face. So that's what Christ has done for us. Isn't that beautiful? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your mercies and your graces. We thank you for Ephesians 4. We thank you for spiritual gifts. We thank you for your great love and for Christ's gifts. And uh, we thank you for the diversity in the body of Christ. Uh, help us, Lord, uh, as we are equipped uh, more and more day by day to um, supply the body with what you want us to do and uh, to do it with love as we grow and uh, help us to be uh, patient with one another. Help us not to be tossed uh, to and fro by errors, but to be established in, uh, in your truth. And Lord, we thank you for your great patience towards us. And uh, uh, we, we pray for your empowerment by the Spirit so that we may do what pleases you. And amen. amen. amen.